The Daily Tap is live for Thursday. We are talking Nathaniel Hackett to Denver and what it means for the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. We'll also talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles hot streak continuing in their win against Seton Hall. We'll do some golden kegs there. And then we'll introduce bar complaints with the Milwaukee Bucks, but also talk about how real Cleveland is as a contender. We start, though, with Nathaniel Hackett now taking the Denver job. So sometimes it works out that you're taping your podcast in the morning. Uh, was not planned, honestly. I had a actually a really cool segment that I think I'll do sometime when we have some downtime when there's a topic needed. Um, and I just didn't get to it. I, it was whatever. It was l- way too late. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just do it in the morning. Uh, wake up to the news that Nathaniel Hackett had been hired by the Denver Broncos. And I was like, oh, shit, I got a story. And I think everyone in sports radio here in Milwaukee or Wisconsin basically said the exact same thing when they got the news on their phones that Nathaniel Hackett is now the Denver Broncos head coach. So obviously, where there's smoke, there's fire. This signals the Broncos potentially making a run at Aaron Rodgers and trying to get Aaron Rodgers over to Denver. Aaron Rodgers has spoken very highly of Nathaniel Hackett throughout the years and talked, you know, a great length about how he likes Nathaniel Hackett, how he likes working with him, how he brought a real energy. The gold zone was something famous. Nathaniel Hackett is a very interesting dude, unique guy who is really well liked in the Packers organization, not just from like LaFleur and Rodgers and all the coaches, but also the media. So it seems like a great hire for Denver as they've been so defensive focused and defensive oriented the last few coaches that now going to offense and turning it on is a great move for the Broncos. They obviously need to upgrade at their quarterback position. Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Luck are not Drew Locke, not Drew Luck. Drew Locke's going to not win you many games. I think the the ceiling is what Denver was this season, honestly. And you have a talented defense. You have some talented offensive players with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Javante Williams is a promising young running back. I'm not really sure quite about their offensive line, but obviously Hackett is looking to fix that immediately by getting Adam Adam Stefanich. Man, I butcher his name. Coach them. Uh, Stenovich, Adam Stenovich. I always butcher his name. I don't know why. I don't know why it trips me up. But Adam Stenovich, uh, getting him to Denver uh, and being the offensive coordinator. Broncos are already looking to ask for permission. I do wonder if Green Bay is going to make him the offensive coordinator because what Stenovich did for the Packers' offensive line this year was nothing short of incredible. I don't think you want Stenovich out of this organization and to promote him and to get him as the offensive coordinator then that means he cannot be hired by Denver because I believe lateral moves the Packers would have to sign off. Matt LaFleur does not block he says he doesn't block coordinators from moving but you think if Stenovich has the opportunity to stay with Green Bay that he will. It would be a major loss for the Green Bay Packers to lose him as an offensive line coach. We've seen what's happened when teams have lost premier offensive line coaches. Thinking about the New York, uh, the New England Patriots when Dante Scarnacchio left that team and that their offensive line just wasn't the same. So will Nathaniel Hackett bring in Aaron Rodgers? That's the question. Will Aaron Rodgers want to force his way to Denver and tell Brian Gunacoust that Denver is the destination for him, that basically it's Denver or bust, and I don't want to go anywhere else. 
I'm unsure if that's what's going to happen. I, it's hard to look in that crystal ball, right? I think now, obviously, Denver has to be considered. I was a couple days ago. I was more on the Rodgers is even either going to retire or he's going to play another year or two in Green Bay. Now I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, this throws a wrench in it. Obviously, George Patton at some point is going to call Brian Gunacus and talk through what an Aaron Rodgers trade looks like. I don't know. I don't have those specifics. They to me, this is otherworldly type shit. Obviously, Green Bay is going to ask for picks. They're going to ask for Denver's first round pick this year. I believe it's the ninth pick overall. They're going to try to get Denver's first round pick this year, next year, and maybe the year after and try to get basically all the draft capital in the world to make sure that not only are they going to build for the future, even if it's not a rebuild. And I I honestly can tell you why it wouldn't be a rebuild with Jordan Love, but let's not cross that bridge until we get there. And also make sure that you're protected if, say, you want a quarterback next year, you have all this draft capital to move with a quarterback if Jordan Love is not the answer. But so I, I do think they're positioning themselves to do that if possible. I also think that they will want talent back, whether it be defenders, whether I don't think Patrick Sertan, if depending on the picks, I don't think you could get like a Patrick Sertan, right? But could you get a guy like Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy to come over to Green Bay to say, all right, we they need wide receivers. They're probably not going to re-sign Devontae Adams now. They need a wide receiver. Could you get that? Could you potentially get Drew Locke if that's something you're interested in as a backup quarterback? I'm not sure. I feel like you could get a guy in the draft in the third or fourth round that would be just as good as Drew Locke. I think similarly to what the Packers did with Brian Brom, right, where they drafted Brian Brom as like this failsafe that if Aaron Rodgers didn't work out, they had Brian Brom. Now, I probably drafted him a little early and that didn't work out for anybody, but they at least had it just in case. I still think Green Bay would do something similar this year with the draft and say, all right, we're going to go get a quarterback in the third or fourth round just to cover our ass, just to make sure that if Jordan Love really isn't that good, we might have a quarterback we're interested in that could rise up. We've seen this before, right, with Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin. Now, granted, that was the same year, but it's a similar concept. So Green Bay obviously has a lot of flexibility here. Green Bay definitely is, I would say, in the captain seat in a weird way. I know you're like, well, how are they in the captain seat when Aaron Rodgers is basically dictating their decision? I mean, it doesn't have to be up to Aaron Rodgers. Like if Aaron Rodgers is like, yeah, I want to play next year, and Green Bay's like, all right, well, we we just want to start fresh. Like we we really think that. Denver's has a compelling offer. Do you want to play for Denver? Do you want to play for Nathaniel Hackett? Like, here's here's what we have on the table, and we'd like to take it. How do you feel about it? And if Rodgers is like, no, I, I don't want to deal with another media market. I want to stay in Green Bay. I don't know what Brian Gutekunst does there. I have no idea. I, I really don't. Um, and then if he's like, yeah, I want to retire, then then it's what I, then Denver kind of might have egg on their face. But I think they really wanted Nathaniel Hackett. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett was a guy that they just hired because of Aaron Rodgers. Like I think Nathaniel Hackett was a coach that multiple teams wanted that had no shot at Aaron Rodgers. Right? Like Jacksonville wanted Nathaniel Hackett. Now there's a relationship there, 
But Jacksonville wasn't going to trade fucking Trevor Lawrence for Aaron Rodgers, which, by the way, I would do tomorrow. Um, they, they, they would not trade Trevor Lawrence for Aaron Rodgers. They just wouldn't. Minnesota also interested in Nathaniel Hackett. No way would the Packers trade Aaron Rodgers to Minnesota. So this idea that Nathaniel Hackett only got this job so they could trade for Aaron Rodgers is hot take, first take sort of bullshit because it's not true. He had multiple teams looking at him and there were teams who were looking at him that didn't have any stake in the quote-unquote Rodgers sweepstakes. So I find that to be a little bit fraudulent in the sense that I think Nathaniel Hackett would be a good hire even if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come with him and they have to go look for another quarterback. And there are going to be multiple quarterbacks potentially available, whether it be Russell Wilson, whether it be Deshaun Watson, whether, you know, somewhere like the dominoes fall if Tua becomes available or, you know, New York Giants have looked, if Brian Flores gets that job, Deshaun Watson's kind of tied to Flores Daniel Jones might be available. And John Mara, I thought, was really interesting yesterday. John Mara is not a guy I, I necessarily look to for quotes, but basically said we failed Daniel Jones. And it's weird to hear an owner say that and have that accountability, but I, I thought it was a really important comment to be like, we don't want to give up on Daniel Jones just yet. So that might rule them out of the Deshaun Watson. It does think like they're going to hire Brian Dable, not Brian Flores. So we'll see. But I, I really do think that Nathaniel Hackett is not just tied to Aaron Rodgers. That's kind of my greater point is I don't necessarily think this is just a Rodgers thing. I think whoever the quarterback is, and it might be Kenny Pickett, it might be Matt Corral, it might be someone that we're not even thinking about right now that comes into Denver and takes over. But we'll have to see. And this obviously will drive the hysteria up. I think Rodgers at this point, given that he's already talked to Pat McAfee, I think Rodgers will sort of fade into the shadows um, for the next few weeks. Uh, you might see him at the NFL Awards. I actually don't think he'll be there, right? Because he's not vaccinated and it's LA. And I think you, unless there's some exemption, LA is fucking weird. They, you know, they bend the rules for celebrities. So I don't know. Maybe Rodgers will be there regardless. Um, but I, I don't think you'll see Aaron Rodgers much for the next few weeks. And I think that will be on purpose. So we'll see what happens. Uh, this obviously just adds more fuel to the fire, adds more annoyance to the fire. But at the end of the day, nothing's happening for the next few weeks. So just take solace in that. Again, I don't think anybody is really like sad if Aaron Rodgers gets traded. I think everybody is at the same point. Either you don't want him back or you are like, if he goes, cool. If he stays, great. Um, and we'll, we'll make it work either way. I think that that's kind of the th the two thought processes this offseason. I don't think it's anything like last year where it was like, we have to do everything to keep Aaron Rodgers. I think there's still some people that are out there like that, but they're few and far between. They're they're not necessarily as, as large of a majority. I've had multiple friends who were more on that side who've now kind of came over and said, eh, you know, if, if they move on, I'm not going to be heartbroken. So we'll see what happens. Uh, definitely something to monitor as the months go on. Moving on to Marquette basketball. The Marquette Golden Eagles won again. Uh, they've won seven straight games. A dominating win over Seton Hall, 73 
to 63. The game doesn't necessarily look as much of a blowout as it was. I mean, Marquette really came out and established themselves from the jump, and Seton Hall really could not get off the mat. They were down 17 points at halftime. Seton Hall has played three games in five nights. I have no idea why that line was a plus six to Marquette. It'll haunt me that I didn't jump all over that. Um, Seton Hall did have a good second half at times, sort of battled back, but Marquette locked down and they played really well. Um, Justin Lewis was incredible. Obviously, the three-keg guy for us, uh, 33 points for Lewis, seven or nine rebounds, six assists, only one turnover. He also had three steals. He made four threes. I've said for a couple weeks now that I think Justin Lewis is going to be a first-round pick in the NBA. He, the guy is just so skilled, and the Shaka magic with big guys, which we've talked about in the past, and why Shaka was such a great hire, it, it's coming to life. I mean, we've he produced Jared Allen, Mobamba, Kai Jones. Um, there have been guys time and again that have went through Shaka's system that are bigger dudes that have become top-tier NBA talent. And Justin Lewis, Jackson Hayes is another one that I didn't, didn't add, like, they become top players because of Shaka, and and he his system is making it happen. And Justin Lewis continues to show like all facets of the game, and he's a really tough guy to guard. There's not a lot of teams in college basketball that have a guy that can deal with a six seven guard of Lewis's stature because he's he's a big six seven. Like I can't believe he's only six seven. Like I think he's more six eight six nine. He plays that way. And so it, because of the physicality and sort of his ability to, you know, play from the inside out, he's a true stretch four and it's a really tough guy to guard and he's very physical and he's not afraid of contact and that's what you love to see. And I think some of the, you know, comparisons between the old the old Marquette teams versus the new Marquette teams is this Marquette teams are dogs and they're physical and they're going to go at you. And Justin Lewis is definitely that. And they sense blood in the water. And this Marquette team, you know, took advantage of a Seton Hall team that was, you know, down Bryce Aiken, which was a tough loss, but also, you know, really made sure that they put him away. Every time that Seton Hall got close and Seton Hall started to sniff, there was Marquette with a big answer. And that that's something you really like to see from this team. And you really, you know, are encouraged by that they are continuing to make sure that it doesn't fall apart. I hated the fact that they took the, the air out of the ball in the last five minutes. I think that would be my biggest complaint with this one. I would like to see Marquette continue to push. I wonder if that is an adjustment. It was not the time to sort of basically slow everything down and say, all right, you know, drain the shot clock. Marquette's not that team. And they played out of sorts in those, you know, few minutes. And Grant, Seton Hall didn't do anything with it. But there's a real chance that Seton Hall could have made that like a six-point game. And all of a sudden, it's really close. And it's, you need a bucket. You need sort of that Camp Jones, Xavier bucket where you hit the big shot. And that's, and that's final. But I, I said, we talked about their ceiling, I think it was yesterday or the day before. The sky's the limit for this team, man. I'm starting to feel like not only from a, we talk more from a seating perspective, but from how far can this team go? It's like, I don't, Final Four seems really excessive, right? Like, it, but I will say, like, they are completely fearless. Like, I don't think they fear one team 
that's going to come in their in their way. And I do think you know they're gonna have they're gonna lose a game somewhere here. Like they play Providence and Villanova the next two games. Villanova at home, which should be a massive crowd, even though it's a Wednesday night. Like it should be a rocking five serve crowd, win or lose against Providence. I think it's not unreasonable to think Marquette can't lose both the next two games. But also, if they win both, are we going to be surprised? I mean, Marquette has moved 50 points up in Ken Palm. They, to me, are the biggest surprise in college basketball. Right there with Providence. Like, Providence and Marquette, which we'll talk more about Friday, that's the surprise bowl. Like, that to me is like the two teams that no one saw coming. I think Wisconsin is another team that should be mentioned in that sort of surprise that no one saw. And so I'm not trying to diss my Badger State, I wouldn't say buddies, but my Badger State partners or my Badger State cohorts, because they, they definitely deserve that claim of surprise teams in college basketball. No, no doubt about it. Marquette just, Marquette seemingly is unflappable and they just do not seem to have sort of this, holy shit, we're... We're up 18 against this team. It's like, nah, it's this business as usual. This is this is casual for us. Oh, Seton Hall makes a run. All right, let's hit a three and get out of here. So again, just an excellent game from Justin Lewis. I think he's really making a case for Big East Player of the Year. Uh, Jay Crowder, obviously the only Marquette guy to do that. I think Justin Lewis has a very strong case and he continues to build it. And we still got a little basketball left, but I, I do think Justin Lewis is going to make a case as the year goes on. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, our three keg, or golden kegs, if you're unfamiliar, you're new to the show, we do this with wins. Um, we'll talk about what we're gonna do for losses. But for wins, we talk about three golden kegs, two golden kegs, one golden keg. Consider it, uh, Olympics are starting soon. Your gold, silver, and bronze. Uh, golden kegs are based on a trophy that was given out in the club football matchup between Marquette and UWM. I think Golden Keg represents Milwaukee as good as anything else, being the beer capital of the United States. Two Golden Kegs go to Kirkuth. Kirkuth, man, seven blocks in this game. He was a beast down low, uh, really established himself, did add six points, did add three rebounds, but Kerr was great. Now, I know 2K is really good. Like, 2K is an absolute beast, and he had a bunch of blocks as well. But Kirkuth outblocked 2K with uh, seven of his own. And that that's something that, man, I'm really impressed with Kerr. I, I do think that he has a role on this team. I think he can really, you know, affect what Marquette is doing defensively and really make sure that teams are not necessarily going into the paint. I wish he was a little bit better of a rebounder, just given that Marquette has some offensive rebounding struggles. Um, but I do love what Kirk Huth can do at the rim, and he's a complete game changer. He can throw teams off, and he's definitely done that. And I do think some of the settling of Seton Hall late, if you watch, if you kind of watch that back and you're like, okay, Seton Hall, could they have come back in this game if they attacked the rack? And I think a lot of them settling for threes was because Kirk Huth was affecting shots left and right. Um, so seven blocks for him. He is my two keg uh, winner. My one keg, my, my one golden keg goes to Cam Jones. So Cam Jones didn't have a great like offensive rating night, like actually 98 was one of the lower ones uh, per Ken Palm. But I really thought the eight points were important. He had a huge three as Seton Hall's getting on a run. 
And I also want not to not forget what he did against Xavier. He had 12 points in that game. So this is a little bit of a posthumous award, kind of like the Susan Lucci, right? You have to give an award at some point. Like we just have to shout out Camp Jones's performance. The guy is going to be a stud. Like he is going to be a vital part of Marquette basketball going forward. Uh, the freshman has a ton of potential. I think he'll add a little bit of weight. He's definitely going to be a guy that is a starter next season and really sort of is the future of Marquette basketball. And I think that's reason to be excited. That's reason to be encouraged of what's next for Marquette because Cam Jones is a, is a stud and he's fearless. He will shoot whenever. I think sometimes, you know, you get a little intense with that, but you'll take the, the bad with the good because he still can make it. The transition three game is incredible for his age. The fact that he has that down, I, I think is something to fathom. It's It drives old people crazy because it's definitely not old school NBA, but we know as watching the Bucks with Chris Middleton, a transition three can go a long way and it can be a just an absolute dagger when you're on a run. So Cam Jones, the future is bright. I would not be surprised if there's a tournament game or a Big East tournament game where Cam Jones ends up being a difference maker and lights it up for 20 points. You need to have those guys off the bench. And I think the the Marquette bench is really, really fucking solid. They're playing 10 deep, which it's, it's a lot. Um, and I know like all of our brains are fried from the NBA. So we're like, oh, you need an eight-man rotation in the playoffs. College basketball, you can get away with a 10-man rotation. I don't think it's bothering Marquette right now. And the minute distribution, I think, is good. And I think Shaka is doing a good job of these guys don't look tired out there. And we've we've seen this in the past, right, with Wojo, where the guys sort of petered out as the year went on. I don't think anyone necessarily seems tired. I mean, you had Cam Jones with 18 minutes. Greg and Oso had 15 and 14 also, Stevie Mitchell had nine and Joplin had five. So, uh, like, I think that's a really nice sort of bench distribution of minutes. Um, and I think Marquette can keep playing 10 deep until until they can't. And it, and you you can ride your starters, but you don't always need to rely on them. And I think that's I think that's the important thing to to know that you have production coming out of your starting rotation or uh, out of your bench, excuse me, not to start your rotation, uh, that you have sort of that production uh, from your bench. I like, I hit the post and then I fucked it up. All right, let's move on to the Bucks. Wrapping up here with the Milwaukee Bucks. So unfortunately, we did not get a double Wisconsin Wednesday winner, uh, the or Milwaukee winner. Uh, Wednesday, Wisconsin Wednesday winner sounds so much better than double Milwaukee Wednesday winner. That's a mouthful. Double Wisconsin Wednesday. Wednesday winner, that's a fucking, that's a slogan right there. I might have to steal that for later. But anyways, the Bucks did not play well. Uh, the Bucks started out hot. They were rolling in that first half. But Cleveland, man, second second through four was was all Cleveland. Uh, they dominated this game. Uh, they, were, they could not miss from three. They had 19 threes overall, uh, shot 45%. They shot 47% overall. Uh, their bench, led by Kevin Love and Seti Oseman, had 20-plus uh, together. Uh, so combined, scored 48 points off that bench and led and led the scoring and led the way for the Cavs. And you just have to ask yourself, how much do you take the Cavs seriously at this point? And when do you, when do you worry about the Cavs being a real tough matchup for Milwaukee in the playoffs? I, I think... 
they would be a bitch to deal with. I do think the playoffs are different. I just do. I think the fact that Brooke Lopez is not playing in this game. This is a game where you actually do need Brooke Lopez because they are so big inside with guys like Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro. Like they're big and you need Brooke Lopez in this matchup. Like this is a game where actually Bobby hurts you. I think Denver, which we'll talk about when we do weekend preview this weekend or tomorrow, like that's another team that really Bobby, you, you get hurt by. I think having Brooke Lopez in this matchup will solve a lot of problems. I think that'll free up some stuff for Giannis. I think defensively that really helps as well. Um, can kind of limit what Mobley and Jared Allen want to do inside. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a frustrating matchup for Milwaukee. I would go as far to say that Cleveland is more of a concern in Chicago, in my opinion, because of what they have inside. They Length can give Milwaukee some fits. I don't think Cleveland is at the point where they could make a run to the conference finals um, because just because it's, it's the NBA. And the NBA has like this sort of succession plan. It's super weird. And you act like you're above it, but we saw it with the Bucks, right? It's rare for a team to just come out of nowhere and get to the conference finals. It just doesn't happen. We saw it happen with Atlanta, and now you're seeing the after effects of it. Atlanta got too big too fast, and now Atlanta's, you know, scrapping for a play playing game spot. I don't even know if they're there. It, it's a real possibility, though, that Cleveland can win the NBA Central Division and that the Bucs are going to be either a three or a four. Now, the way they do seeding, it doesn't matter if the Bucs are a the second best team in the Central Division. They still could get a three seed even if, say, you know, a team wins the division over them. Um, so that's still on the table for Milwaukee, but it, it, it's a real possibility. Cleveland has played one of the hardest schedules in basketball and they're still winning a ton of games. And this is a bad loss for Milwaukee. And Milwaukee didn't come ready. Giannis said we sucked in this game. I thought Giannis's comments after the game were very telling. It seemed like Giannis, you know, it was maybe a wake-up call of like, all right, yeah, Cleveland's a team we got to add to our list of who we take seriously. Only the fourth loss for the Giannis Middleton uh, holiday combination. They're now 18-4. and four. Uh, all together. So I, I'm not not worried. Um, I do think the fact that they have nothing off their bench scares me a little bit. That they are getting absolutely nothing from that bench is pretty scary. Um, their bench was absolute trash tonight. They scored a grand total of 15 points and they, they just didn't have much. Dante was a little bit better. Um, he was 4 of 11 though from the field, which is not necessarily anything to write home about. Um, Nora only four points in 15 minutes. He missed uh, almost all of his shots, missed all of his threes. The Bucks started out hot and then were pathetic from three. Nine of 38. Uh, Cleveland really did lock them down. So they, they'll have another game against Cleveland uh, later in this year and they're going to have to adjust and we'll, we'll be interested to see how they adjust. Now it's really late in the season so maybe that game won't matter and the Bucks are already looking towards playoffs. But it would, be, it would be nice to see if the Bucs could kind of establish themselves like they did in that first matchup against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because Cleveland clearly made adjustments and were ready for this Bucs team. 19 turnovers too for the Bucs, which just a bad just a bad overall night for, for Milwaukee. I think partly due to the fact that they, you know, a little rest and it obviously, they weren't ready to play this game. And that's a bummer, and we've seen it a few times this year. And it's just that inconsistency we've talked about with Milwaukee 
all season, and they really do need help on that bench. So bringing back bar complaints, or bringing back, uh, introducing bar complaints to the Tab and the Keg podcast. Introducing bar complaints to the Daily Tap podcast. So what bar complaints are going to be is just things that are you know sticking in my craw about this game. I think I already kind of addressed some of them, uh, but it's our basically our inverse of the Golden Keg because I looked at this and I was like, you know what? We can't do golden kegs for losses. Like, why should like we did star ratings, wins or losses for the Packers? Like, we I don't know. Could you can you really do golden kegs on a you know a, a game where you lose, you get beat by fifteen? I don't know, man. I guess the biggest complaint I have with this game is the lack of bench scoring. To me, that's that's number one. They have to figure out the bench. I understand that P.J. Tucker had 20 points tonight against the Knicks. P.J. Tucker looked good. And then all the P.J. Tucker shit comes back. Bucks Twitter doesn't forget. And everybody is still hot to trot about the P.J. Tucker stuff. I get it. Um, but let me remind you, I think it all has to do with the second year. I think the Bucks were only willing to give him a year. And he's like, no, I want two. And then the Bucks are like, all right, go find it. If you find a two-year deal, go sign it. Like, we don't care. And he's like, all right, I will. And sure enough, Miami came knocking down his door and said, will you give me two years? And he's like, okay. Now, I don't know this. This is not sourced. I know PJ, PJ Tucker didn't really like Milwaukee. That had also something to do with it. He is a nightlife dude. Uh, so he wanted to play somewhere where there was a little more nightlife than Milwaukee. Trust me, I do have that source. I will say that. So that that is source. That is well-known knowledge. So I know people want to bitch about PJ Tucker and like, you gave him away for free. I don't think P.J. Tucker wanted to be here that much, guys. I, I really do think you need to understand it. But yes, the lack of bench is a real concern right now for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think number two, it's just the three-point shooting was awful. Um, you can't can't have that. You're not going to win many games shooting nine. You know The discrepancy of threes was 19-9. to nine. You're going to lose probably 10 times out of 10 when that happens. So that's another thing worth complaining about. Also, too... Um, just the overall performance of, you know, the guy, the last thing I would say, Drew Holiday. I know Drew Holiday had seven assists. He had six rebounds, but four points uh, on nine shots. It was just a rough day for Drew Holiday. And hopefully it's just, you know, whatever, bad night. We all have bad nights. We're all allowed for that. But yeah, when Drew Holiday's only scoring four points, the Bucks aren't going to win many games. So to wrap up, complaints go. Lack of bench scoring lack of three-point shooting and Drew Holiday's struggles would be our complaints for this Bucks game. So hopefully they right the ship. They got New York on Friday. New York got absolutely pumped by the Heat on, on Wednesday night. They owe the Knicks for a game in Fiserv after the Bucks blew one in November. Uh, they also have the Nuggets on Sunday. We'll talk about both those games in a little more detail when we do the weekend preview uh, on tomorrow's show. All right, that does it for today's podcast. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with another Daily Tap. Uh, Have a good one, Tappers, and we will see you then. All right, take care and have a good one. Bye.